Hello. Hey, Marilyn. Good morning, Dan. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, pretty, pretty good. Yeah. What's going on? I'm wearing a tie-dye shirt. Oh, yeah? My daughter made it for me at camp. Oh, cool. She asked me what my uh, favorite colors for a tie-dye shirt would be, and she uh, produced it. Well, that's nice. Like, how do they, do they do a traditional, like, tie-dye thing or what? Like, how do they make it? Oh, yeah. Like the traditional uh, shaker style. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It was, uh, you know, it's a camp thing. It's a camp thing. <sighs> Boy, camp is a mixed bag. You got to pick the right camp. Yeah, we didn't do, we haven't done any camp so what far. Are they doing the, what are they doing the day? Exactly. I don't know. That's just make are my- Are they at home? Yeah. Oh my God. They make my wife's life just very challenging, but they oh. both refused. They both refused. They're doing well, a so, lot so of- So does mine. You got to make them go. That's camp. Well, that's what I've done in the past. <laughs> and this year they, they really just protested and we said, all right, well, let's, let's just see how it goes. And of course my wife is regretting it. Uh, but you know, like we we're doing a lot of other things and I'm- kind of helping them do other things. But I think, I think camp, you kind of have to, you have to make them go. You have to do it. But this was, this was an exceptional situation. I have an emerging unified field theory about these things that I'm still very much working on. I'm trying to see if they have the camp that we like. No, it doesn't look they have it in Texas. Um, yeah, here's, hmm. can I talk about this for a minute? Yeah. So like, you know, part of the whole parenting thing is you're supposed to be really consistent and good and encouraging and getting your kids to do things. <laughs> and, uh, which is, you know, there's no bottom to that. Like there's always more stuff to be less terrible at. Right. And I, I find that super challenging. And one of the things is that I, as my kid gets older, I'm getting more reluctant to tell anecdotes, but I think this is true of many kids. She would prefer to just sit around and do things. I, I mean, I think if she had her druthers, she would sit around and watch Gravity Falls while she plays video games all day. Oh, yeah. Now, she's, a, she's a two-screen kid now, which is which is nice. Um, apparently, you get to a point where, like, like uh, Gruber says his kid will be, like, listening to a YouTube video as he watches TV and plays a video game. Yeah, that's what they like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But... I, I discourage that, that to... The best of my ability and that we do trade-offs so like if he wants to like i've disabled remember how we talked about that um open the, the, dns the, uh, yes yeah, so it was certain like safari sites you can't get to and stuff right 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 so the only device in our house right now that has access to youtube is our apple tv so we can be very very aware of what he's watching and when and it's on the big tv and that's the only <laughs> other than my computer like that's the only way that you can watch youtube so the deal is now that if he wants to watch his stuff on youtube which is mainly like half-life gary's mod stuff whatever whatever that means it's people playing different mods of yeah, half-life those, those sound like words yeah, if he if he wants to do that, he's got to spend X amount of time on. We have a, a rowing, a little rowing machine, so he can be on the rowing machine <laughs> for a certain amount me? of time. And if he uh, wants to watch the these nonsense garbage crap on YouTube, then that's fine. He just has to put in the time on the rower. Hmm, that's interesting. It works out great. It gets him gets him motivated to use the rower, and he does it, and he's great on it. And then he can burn burn some time on the YouTube. He doesn't mind it. Using the rower or the trade-off? The, the, well, the rower. He's not resistant to that? Well, he's he's resistant to it if he can't see the carrot dangling in front of him. Mm. And the carrot that is actually, you <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I get That actually gets to the thing that I'm trying to address with what we do. 
which is uh, something we all learn over and over again is like the difference between extrinsic and intrinsic value or the idea of uh, becoming motivated uh, not just to do the things that you like or to do the things that you want to do, uh-huh. but by proximity to new experiences, learning that there are things beyond what you already like. So, you know, a canonical example is, you know, trying new foods. So like every time we're like trying to say like, hey, look, you know, this is really similar to a food you already historically like, just try a little bit. And of course she's resistant because that's her job. But, you know, I, I, it doesn't help, but I will frequently say, well, you know, the classic line. Remember, there was a time when you uh, didn't like Pixar movies. You didn't want to try that because you'd rather watch uh, Sid the Science Kid. But then you tried Toy Story and you really liked it. There was, there's always a day when you don't like something because you haven't tried it yet. I'm not sure that's that psychologically effective. I'm just, in the intrinsic versus extrinsic, I really struggle with it because, you know, you think about like, there's, I, I guess, intrinsic and extrinsic. And then just things you force people to do. Like, you got to learn math. Like, you have to take arithmetic, even if it's not fun. Even when it gets hard, you've got to turn in the report, right? Well, you got to do this stuff. You got to show up at school every day, basically, even though that's not super fun. But I'm really struggling with stuff like I, she loves to read, but her reading has really dropped off over the summer, I think because of things like screens. And as I think I'm on record pretty strongly here and elsewhere saying I'm not anti-screen, I think screens are life now. And if she wants to read on a screen or she wants to play Foldify and make papercraft by making these incredibly artistic papercraft things. Yeah. I think you've got to make those distinctions, but I struggle just because I feel like there's a certain point where you have to, you say, you know, like carrot and stick, right? You have to like encourage and you have to cajole, but you don't always want to say, for example, as I have historically done badly, okay, let's go out and have breakfast and I'll let you have a donut. Like, oh, fail. Like, that's terrible. <laughs> like, so now it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm treating her like, like a puppy, you know? And yeah. I guess I feel like I, I don't want to force her to do organized stuff, you know, that she doesn't want to do. She doesn't want to do Girl Scouts. I'm not that into Girl Scouts either. You know, she didn't want to play soccer. She tried it a little bit and she's just kind of a, she likes doing her own thing. So I'm, I guess what I'm saying is I'm struggling with where the line is on encouragement versus uh, gentle to not so gentle forcing. But you know, in the case of camp, there was one camp she went to this year. She's just like, every day was just pure tears. I don't think anything like abusive was happening. She just didn't have fun. She didn't have a friend right, there. Right, when you're right. eight years old, you want to have a friend. And that was a lonely, sad experience. She's at a different camp now with two people that she really likes. And I mean, it could be, uh, it could be a camp about abattoirs and she'd enjoy it because like she likes the people she's with. So I don't know. I, I think that's an ongoing struggle because you think about like in your own life, you have stuff where you accidentally like stumbled upon something in the context of being forced to do something forced that's an ugly word but you know what i mean like you some of your interests you probably have till this to this day came out of having to go to school and then in my case like looking through encyclopedias or you know you there's discoverability to things but you have to be encouraged in the direction to go and discover things right. and then now you've got intrinsic value and you know you can find evidence for or against almost anything as a parent, but it's, I've seen a couple things lately that say, for example, reading logs, uh, it's a good way to make sure kids read or claim to read, but it may not be a great way to make kids really want to read that adding that whole like, okay, now there's was- a separate process. That it's not enough that you read this book. Now you must write down things about it or write down the fact that you read it. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, that, that is the, 
the, the obvious challenging part of it, but think about this also, uh, everybody procrastinates. You know, there's things in your life where you end up doing something you've been putting, even something dumb that you've been putting off for months and you do it, you found out it took two, two minutes and it wasn't hard and it was actually pleasurable even. And you go, oh, I'm such a dingling. Like, why did I put that off? Well, that's because you could spend hours, days, weeks, or months not doing something and thinking about doing something. So, you know, the time it takes her to fill in her reading log, six minutes, 10 minutes, if you stagger it over the days, mm-hmm. but all the, but then there's that thing hanging over your, the sword hanging over your head the whole time. Have you got to go fill in the reading log? And I, I, I wonder if at certain ages that could be a real turnoff. Yeah, I never, anything that required extra work, I was very oppositional to that. We didn't mm-hmm. have any kind of a reading log when I was a kid. And it's funny because now as an adult, I would like love to see my thoughts on anything that I read at any point in my life up till, you know, serious adulthood in my 20s or 30s. I would love to see like when I remember vividly the first time I read like Catcher in the Rye or something like that or The Great Gatsby. Like I had lots of thoughts on these books and I remember talking about them and thinking about them a lot, but I can't remember what all my thoughts were. And like, what was I thinking as like a 16 year old angst type high school kid who is into the dead Kennedys reading Catcher in the Rye? Like, well, I want to reconnect with that guy and see what he thought, you know? So like, you're still, such a, you're still such a, a mushy blend of all these different preferences where you haven't settled into right. that many it's, things. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, um, I was on Clockwise uh, last week, which is a half hour show with four tech topics. And one of the topics was like, how do we feel about Swift Playgrounds? And the other uh, guests were talking about, you know, they've used it. And it's really cool. And I, I heard it's really great. And the basic question was, how do we feel about this idea that kids should learn programming? And, you know, at the risk of repeating myself, you know, ad nauseum, I, I think that before you, to quote myself, before you try to make a programmer, it helps to really encourage a tinkerer. Right. You think about how you think about you, like how you tinkered and tinkered and tinkered. And you really wanted you look forward to that time that you could be on the computer. Yeah, right. Yeah. And it's like I, I think I'm not I'm not against the idea of teaching programming. I do think it gets treated like a silver bullet by people who don't really understand that much about development. But I'm I, you know, I think instead of trying to mint this new generation of Airbnb entrepreneurs, it's better to think of like, how do you let your kid off the leash enough? to go discover the thing that they can be excited about next. Let them find 10 things to be excited about, you know, rather than like constantly trying to corral them into these interests that reflect your own hangups. That's, that's something I struggle with all, you know, all the time. But, you know, it's like I was, I just mentioned this app. If you've got a kid who likes papercraft, you know, basically like printing out things and folding them into shapes, kind of like, you know, not exactly origami, but anytime, you know, if you imagine as a grown up, if you don't know what I'm talking about, when you're a kid, you get those things like a, a punch the, the thing out of the cereal box and fold it together with the flaps. This is, there's so much great stuff out there for doing paper craft. And she has this app that she's really blossoming with called Foldify. And it's a iPhone, iPad app that basically lets you have on the left, you get this view of what this object would look like in 3d and you can turn it. And then over here on the right side, in the bigger area, you have a canvas with that template laid out flat. And so there's so many amazing, this sounds crazy and it's hard to describe, but it's such an interesting skill because if you can imagine anything more than a basic, even, even a basic square, like a six-sided die shape, a, a box, cube, you think about having to place art on that or draw on that and what it looks like from each different angle. And now she's doing stuff like she's making her own video games and papercraft where she goes out and grabs all the art. She finds art of chords 
on Safari. And she puts together this amazing thing and like in cropping, figuring out how to make a cupcake by drawing in this pattern. That to me, like that doesn't feel productive or educational, but like she's learning how to manipulate things on screen. She's learning to think abstractly and she's learning to go like, oh, now what's a thing I like that I could put on here? She's learning to go use Safari and go find those things and save it to images and then go put it on there. So I'll put that in show notes because I think Foldify, have you gone through a a papercraft uh, phase in the house? No. I mean, really? It's my little boy. girl. You think you got a mess now? Woo! My little girl get? is doing the kind of in I guess papercraft in the in the most basic sense of she'll cut things out and glue them onto other things, but not to the level that it sounds like you're talking about. It's more like you know, lots of drawing and lots of cutting out jellyfish and gluing pipe cleaners to them and things like that. Oh, that's so fun! Yeah. Oh, glitter. How <laughs> about glitter? No, I keep keep that out of the house. Woo! Keep that out of the house. Well, you know, uh, people sometimes think it's hilarious. I'm such an old man that we have and on a daily basis use a printer, printer, scanner, photo printer, you know, we've got this really nice Epson, not nice, but like this good Epson printer that we like, and you can hook it up with Google print so you can use it over the internet from wherever you are. But like we put, we get so much use out of that, whether it's just printing out a cute picture of like uh, something uh, like a cute animal that she wants to put on her wall, print out, you know, photos of stuff we've done recently. And for her, that's, I don't know, that's that's just another exciting thing is that she can, she knows how to reload the printer now. She knows how to change the ink in it. She's kind of figured that out on her own. Um, and so now, apart from the giant mess we have of, you know, dozens and dozens of pages of paper all over the living room, um, she really loves it and it keeps her really occupied. So that to me though, is kind of a good example of something that, from the outside, you go, oh, you're just playing with the, stop playing with the iPad. Like go, uh, go push a hoop with a stick, like a normal kid. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, actually this is strangely creative. So Foldify is at foldifyapp.com. It is in show notes. Dan. Yeah. Hello. Hi. Hello. 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 Hello, Gavna. <laughs> Could you please tell me where people would find show notes for episode 282 of your back to work program? 5by5.tv slash b to the number w the letter slash 282 282 you like the ones where i talk about kids right i like the ones where you talk about kids i like the ones where you have a prepared uh prepared statement to open and close the show <laughs> my opening remarks yeah, your opening opening remarks and your closing thoughts mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. my favorites i have a little speech i wrote here <laughs> yeah. how, what, my, what my parents taught me about, you know, picking yourself up by your own bootstraps. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, at this juncture, would you like to tell me about something that you like? I would love to tell you about our first sponsor. It is Text Expander from what? Smile. Are you even kidding me? There's no way I would joke about Text Expander. <laughs> I mean, if you've <laughs> used it, you know that there's nothing funny about it. It's all about productivity and business. It's about getting back to work. Mm. There is a new text expander and it really is an indispensable tool. I love it. I know you use it. Here's, here's a concept for people who've never, who are already on the, the text expander train. Imagine never typing the same email address or, or chunk of code or brand message or directions or phone number, anything more than once in your whole life ever. That's right. You just store them in a snippet It's a shortcut that you create. You can even use these really cool fill-in-the-blank snippets to customize common responses if you're always having to respond the same way. 
to an email inquiry, to someone even on Twitter or something, anywhere that you're typing, it saves you tons and tons of time. And what's really cool is you can share groups of snippets with other people. Right. Mm -hmm. So you have people working with you, colleagues, people working for you, whatever. You can share this so that you can create these simple, straightforward responses, even if it's something as simple, like I said, as, as an email address or something like a phone number. And what's cool about Text Expander is it starts to wa it watches what you type. It doesn't snoop or anything weird like that, but it watches what you type. And if it sees like, you know what, you typed this same thing like two or three times now, let us make a snippet for you. And we'll type it for you from now on. And the snippets, the way it works is as you're typing, you might set up a, a little like semicolon SIG or semicolon SIG1 for a signature that you might want to type over and over again or semicolon PH. I mean, it can be up to you. It doesn't have to be semicolon. There's so much that you can do. There's so much time to be saved. And uh, Text Expander has an app for Mac, iPhone, iPad, and they've even got one for Windows, which is uh, currently in beta. And you'll have all your snippets on all your devices all of the time, and uh, and it's a it's a wonderful service now that keeps all of this stuff in sync. It's uh, forty dollars per year for what they call a life hacker subscription. It includes all the apps and the text expander sharing service. Uh, you can get these upgrade discounts if you're already a text expander user. It's really cool. And they made a special URL for us to use, but for you guys, smilesoftware.com, smilesoftware.com/b2 W. So you can go and you can look at that. It even does things if you know that you uh, type something wrong on a consistent basis or you forget mm -hmm. how to spell something. It'll fix it for you when you type it wrong. Like everything is there. So smallsoftware.com slash B2W. Support the show by going there and support yourself by, uh, by getting yourself a copy of Text Expander. I've gone into mine and I've sorted by most used and the ones that I can share with you. My most used uh, one is uh, FDATE, F-D-A-T-E which is year, month, day, hour, minute, second, like basically a little date stamp. It's a way of like making a almost impossibly unique date stamp for something. So if you name a file uh, today space, and then I type F-D-A-T-E, that turns that into uh, a date stamp. I have a short date, S-date, which is year, month, and day. One I use a lot, this sounds crazy, if I just want to have some filler text, L-L-O-R-E-M, drops in 600 characters or 100 words of uh, lorem ipsum text. Oh, interesting. Um, here's an easy one. Uh, I have a program called Roderick on the Line. If I type R-O-T-L, nothing happens. If I type R-O-T-L-L, -L, it turns that into Roderick on the Line uh, with the correct capitalization. Uh, colon clap makes the clap uh, emoji. And like you said, uh, if I type Melrin, it turns it into Merlin <laughs> because I type Melrin a lot. Phone number, URLs. Um, you can put, so like when I do the show notes for Roderick on the Line, I have one in here called, called R-O-T-L-I which is the show art for our show. So when I'm in iTunes, I just click on the, the uh, image or artwork and type R-O-T-L-I. And what's hilarious with that one is it goes bonk, 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 bonk. Because it doesn't think that you should be typing on something, but it, it doesn't matter. You type R-O-T-L-I and then it pastes that image right into place. That could be your signature. That could be anything. I just want to say, text expander. Text expander. Text expander. <laughs> bonk, bonk. Thanks, <laughs> smile. There you go. Um, I mean, I, I the whole uh, nerd 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 dot is in the yes, chat room. It's nerd nerd dot is nerd dot is says, "Does my four year old cutting up tiny pieces of paper count as papercraft?" That's my kind of experience <laughs> of papercraft so far. <laughs> is is 
you know, yesterday she ran or, or maybe it was uh, Saturday. I know that's important. She ran in and uh, had a, a piece of green construction paper and said, I need you to cut the jellyfish out of this. And I said, what does the jellyfish look like? And she said, well, here's the baby and here's the mommy. You need to cut the daddy. You know, so that that's her version of paper craft. Hmm. Yeah, that's pretty common. I mean, at a certain age, my kid just like taking a piece of paper and just cutting it into the tiny pieces on the floor. Boy, the glitter, though. Not, not allowed in the house. Oh, boy, a lot of glitter. Not allowed. Um, check out the Foldify uh, app for those who are interested. I, 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 I think I may stand corrected. I think it is an it might be an iPad-only app, but FoldifyApp.com, it's a lot of fun. If you have a printer. I know some people don't have printers. Um, can I do some, um, some FU and some odds and sods? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I want to continue on our uh, talking about, oh, I'm sorry, I, I didn't really prep you uh, to what, we're, what we might talk about today. I, I, can we take a week off from updates? Because I know we have, we have kind of a short schedule today. Sure. But uh, I've been working on that and I'm trying to think about more things to talk about uh, related to updates. Last couple weeks, we've been talking about simplifying our systems, which things we use, which sys- apps and services we're using a lot more and less, how things like having an, you know ubiquitous iOS devices I've come around. So I've been kind of working on that. I think I'd like to do an episode uh, where we where we just talk about, if it's not too lame, like just what it means to have such capable devices with us all the time. I know that we kind of covered that, but I think it's worth calling out like what a tremendous change that means. I love that. Yeah. So that's one. I'd like to talk about how our preferences and consumption of media have changed in the okay. last decade or so. That's the that's so huge. I think about it, and in my head, again, I'm not thinking about me, but like I'm still thinking about like from the 43 folders era, like is like an epoch to me because back then it was still all about the TiVo for me. <laughs> yeah. And I saw you had uh, some kind of meeting with, speaking of the TiVo, uh, with Matt Howie. And for some reason, oh, yeah, because, we had a meet up. Yeah. Meet. A meet. He used to have his TiVo blog. You remember that? I, that's, that's what made me think of that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hilarious. Yeah. Matt had a, had a cool little, uh, what was it called? PVR blog. I think PVR it was blog, right? And and someone uh, someone else like got it and took it took it over or something like that. He got he got fed up with it or hadn't updated it. It's still around, I think. Yeah, he made pretty good bank off of that for nice. a while. That's back when we all used to be on TypePad. He was on TypePad. Forty three folders was on TypePad. Yeah, <laughs> that's oh boy. There's another one. Oh, but you know what? I'm gonna add that to add the, it list. To the list. The things that changed. Just like not not you know obviously you have to talk about things like like we've discussed with Facebook and Twitter, but like, um, you know, how much work we had to do to make sites. That should be a Squarespace uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> sponsored episode. Oh my God. But um, yeah, I want to, I got a couple odds and sides. I, I got a new, um, can you go, go to, um, go to links in the show notes. Right. Um, are you still interested in, in cool new tumblers? I love the cool new tumblers. Yes, please. I don't know if this is a new tumbler. It's new to me, but I follow several. You remember we we're looking at like uh, 70s sci-fi art. Yes. Some of those. Check out this one. Vintage geek culture. Oh my God. I should do it's, this during the show. Oh, go look. Just go look and start scrolling. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's so good. Oh my God. It's so good. <laughs> I <And> love <laughs> I love the uh, the Easter Island Moai that is an alien head. That one's already... It, it totally makes sense. Clash of the Star Kings. So this is lots of what? It's, you know, like a lot of these things, it's covers uh, from old novels. It's lots of old ads from comics and sci-fi magazines, covers of sci-fi magazines, old comics. 
a picture of uh, Brent Spiner on the set of Star Trek with uh, Stephen Hawking. Mm-hmm. But just so much great, fun, old, you know, retro futurism um, kind of stuff. There's some foxy ladies, um, but let's uh, check out vintage geek culture. It's a nice addition. I love it. Love it already. Tumblr's going to get weird. It's going to get weird. Why? How? What? Because now it's owned by, it's going to be owned by Verizon. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. They were part of that. I, I You know what? I forgot that, uh, I <laughs> that they were owned. They were an owned, a wholly owned subsidiary or whatever. Pound. They, uh, Tumblr's gotten a lot less fun in the last few years. And I think it's just going to get ooh, so much worse. There's so many ads now. Ugh. This goes on and on. Britney Spears is taking your questions. No, she's not. <laughs> she might be taking your questions. She's not taking my questions. No. Mm-hmm. I have no questions for Britney Spears. Britney Spears, why are you taking my questions? I'll take my answer off the air. Uh, but, you know, who knows? That's so strange. And it's so strange because you hear these, these crazy valuations for companies, right? That are just worth billions and billions. And you hear like the entire Yahoo internet world. And by the way, including their their properties, their buildings, including their buildings, oh, right? The, whatever, yeah. or Sunnyvale. I mean, <laughs> Silicon Valley real estate included was four billion dollars. Isn't that crazy? Yes. I time mean, was, yeah. Time I mean, was. Yahoo, Yahoo was, was where you started everything on the web, right? Like that was your homepage. You launched your browser. It, it, of course, it opened to Yahoo, and that's where you searched. That's where you found your news. That's where you had your email. That's pretty much everything. And it was also the internet's browser. Uh, it was the internet's location bar. That's how a lot right. of people, before people knew how to enter things in the location bar. And believe it or not, kids, there was a time when uh, URLs and domains did not, did not autocomplete, where you would have to type them right and Google wouldn't guess what it was supposed to be. Right. I remember having clients back in the day in the 90s and uh, yeah, in the 90s that basically would enter in, uh, you know, whatever, c- CNN.com. I'm sorry, my my devices are going off. That's my uh, wake up in the morning song. Is it? I feel like, whoa, I just woke up. Um, I just, I'm trying a new thing for uh, detecting intruders, spam calls. I wonder if it's going to work. Sorry, I forgot. I almost always remember to put on Do Not Disturb. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think I've ever heard your stuff beeping during a show. That's usually it's mine. It's going flow, on. It's my workflow, and I, you know, I took an extra minute to make coffee, so sorry, but I apologize for that. But it's pretty crazy because my iPhone, my iPad, my watch, and my Fitbit all start going off at the same time. Fitbit's got uh, caller ID. Fitbit does? <laughs> well, they'd be in the meeting where they were like, uh, <laughs> you know, it wouldn't be that hard to get caller ID on the Fitbit. They're like, all right, <laughs> do it. Yeah. Uh, and so Yahoo, I mean, that was everything. And to get on Yahoo was such a big deal. It, like if you got your site. Oh yeah. You'd made it. Yeah. You'd made it. And and I, we talked about this a million years ago, but it was really funny because of course you would go and submit to Yahoo. You That's would submit right. your site. There was a page you would go to and fill in some stuff. And I wish like, I should go to because archive.com. Did, did Yahoo ever do any crawling or they, they were never crawling, right? It was, it was Google that crawled. I think for, for the time that Yahoo was really Yahoo, it was completely human edited. Right. My, my, my really good pal, Michael, used to work at Ask Jeeves, and uh, Ask Jeeves was totally human edited. Like, they would come up with all the questions. I think later, of course, you know, you would introduce algorithmic stuff, but they used to be, it was just a bunch of English majors figuring out what people were asking for. It was the craziest <laughs> thing. Sounds so nuts today. But the, the best part was on the Yahoo page. It might have been on the, you know, after you submitted page, the results page. It oh, would yeah. say, well, we got your, got your submission. 
if you don't hear from us again, just submit it again in a month. <laughs> there was no system to it. It was just totally like, it was like, I don't know. It's probably like emailing George R.R. R. Martin or something. Like, yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I mean, you know what? Like that's, that's the way that it was. And I think that's what Google did that was really different is that it was, theirs was an, a thing that like it would just find stuff. It wasn't dependent on human beings. It wasn't dependent on, on a person being involved it was they just set this thing and let it go and it would it would find your site and your content many times stuff did you didn't necessarily even want found it would find oh yeah i remember you know having like a like talking a, about google here yeah google how yeah. i would i would set you know like make a like a client site and i have it like built and i'm like okay you can go to this you know this url and and it wasn't linked to anything and nothing linked to it and then it would show up in google and the client would be like uh why is this showing up I don't remember who wrote Google Hacks. Was it Paul? Oh, no, it was Rail, Rail Dornfest, uh, wrote Google Hacks for O'Reilly. Nice, which was nice such, young man he is. Oh, he's such a great guy. He really is. Oh, and his wife. They're both wonderful people. Um, Paul, you know what Rail did? You remember what Rail did? What did Rail do? He did, the, uh, he did It Became Sandy, and then before that, it was, oh, what was that amazing site? It was that site where you could like forward emails and it was like having your own kind of private wiki site where you could oh 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 um, it was ask sandy eventually right it was and bef- stick it stick it yeah stick it was so bad i app. remember we talked about that at one point didn't we oh that was such a neat app yeah yeah and then i think he works at twitter now i'm not sure he went he did work at twitter and then he was he was at o'reilly for a while and he worked at twitter and then i think twitter I don't think he's still there. I don't think he's no. been there for a while. There's nobody at Twitter anymore. No, not people. Mm-mm. <laughs> Speaking of algorithms, it's just one big There's algorithm. like 7,000 salespeople and one guy in the cold room. Sir, you're not verified. <laughs> oh, um, oh my gosh. Sir, actually, you're not uh, notable. Um, rail. Yeah, but the Google Hacks books. Remember that it was TiVo Hacks? There was Google Hacks. Uh, those were so fun, such fun books. Why am I talking about this? Because it changed. Yahoo changed. Updates. Yahoo change, Mail. Change, change. Yahoo okay. Weather. Oh, Yahoo Weather. Sure. Uh, I'll add uh, uh, changes in site hosting. And you remember Hotmail, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm still, I'm still. Uh, I, I've tried to grow as a person, as you know, Dan. I'm still largely not prejudiced. I, I would like to think I'm becoming less prejudiced as a pattern against all people, except for people who use Hotmail. Well, I'm incredibly prejudiced against people who use Hotmail. Hotmail is something that is sort of, if you're using that today, like I have family members who I still speak to who use it. Yeah. Um, but that's what it takes. Like if you're not a family member and I find out you're using... If you, let's put it this way. Now, didn't they shut, start shutting it down or start closing... I don't, I don't know because that's a great way to get MAUs. I mean, that's the thing with Yahoo is their, their MAUs are off the map because so many people still use Yahoo. It's just they're not, they, the services have not kept up and candidly, the people using them are not high value targets for advertisers. Right. And so apparently this Verizon deal, I'm not a business person as you know, but apparently this Verizon deal is just going to be a way, now Verizon is, has built out a whole bunch of advertising stuff in a way that Yahoo couldn't do. And now they've got the scale to jam ads and everything. So, you know, and I want to jam ads, you know, jam some ads, man. You get an ad jammer. That's what I'm here for. I want to mention that, um, 
Next Thursday night is the uh, 14th Ungainly X-Men comic 14th, meetup. The 14th already? 14, one oh, four. Man. You can find it in uh, in our show notes. You can also go to merlinm.com slash meetup. And uh, I would encourage people to come out next Thursday night. That's, I think, the 4th? Now, my understanding, Merlin, not to interrupt your, your train yes, of thought, my understanding either. is that you must be a hardcore comic fan and it will only be interesting if you have a large investment already in, in comics and comic books. Oh, I'm really glad you mentioned that. Yeah, you're not even going to get in there unless you pass the uh, the quiz at the door. You like, know what I'm saying? A, like what kind of stuff is on the quiz? Can you oh, do- well, like, uh, you know, uh, you, say you're, you say you're into Led Zeppelin, but like, could you name his last three books? <laughs> I didn't think so. No, quite the opposite. Thank you, Dan. It's actually uh, the opposite of that, which is that, you know, just come and hang out. It's a nice place. It's a nice, nice place. And, and they, got, uh, they got beverages. They've got everything. Well, well, you can't have beverages in the store, but we're, we'll go to a pub after and we get a drink. And they, they, it's, it's a pub that allows dogs. So there's dogs in the pub, which is really fun. <laughs> there's always really nice hound dogs in there. Yeah, hound dogs. Hound dogs. <laughs> so I just like to mention that because I'm usually like mentioning at the very last minute and, uh, you know, people don't listen to every episode. So I just wanted to, uh, to mention that. Can I, um, talk about odds and sods, Dan? Mm-hmm. Odds and sods, sods and odds. Uh, can I mention Scrivener for iOS? <laughs> yes. Um, have you, have you looked at this? I You're have looked at this? it. I have looked at it. Oh, um, I am very excited that Scrivener for iOS has come out in the last week or so. Yeah, this was a very, very big deal. People have been waiting for this thing for a long time, especially the people who uh, who have tried or are trying to use, um, you know, like their iOS, their iPad usually, but their iOS device as their primary computing device. Yeah, there's a lot of, oh, finally, from people. But the yeah. truth is, Keith and team have had a pretty rough road to making this happen. Because first of all, like, you know, Literature and Latte is, it's Keith and team, but I mean, they do stuff. Like I think, you know, he was for a long time doing fiction. Fiction is what led him, I believe, to make Scrivener. So in terms of background, uh, there's been this great app out for a while. It's been on OS 10 for, I think, almost 10 years, 10 years. It's in some kind of a beta on Windows. And Scrivener is a very, very interesting app that is for writing. And it's, it's really for writing long form things. Uh, and it's, it's kind of difficult to describe because it's it's pretty different. I feel like it almost invented a genre. There are other sure. apps that do this now, but essentially you get, it's almost like, imagine that there was a finder for writing. It's and a great you had, way, interesting way to describe it. Where you could have nested folders with stuff. Like over here, you've got the draft that you're working on. You have a folder called chapter one with all these different little pieces in it. You have an area over here called research. You might have, you might have a, a folder called characters that has like, uh, you know, information about all your different characters. And the notion is that not, you know, anybody who writes for real mostly knows, I get, you know, there are some short things that you write from beginning to end. But if you're writing something long, if you're writing, um, like a like a long review or something. For example, Federico Vitici is using Scrivener right now to write his uh, iOS 10 review, which is it's perfect for that. So you can write little bits and bobs of these things, organize it the way you want, and then there are many different ways of viewing what you're working on. So on OS 10, for example, you have this. Like I say, imagine a finder. So you get a left bar over here with a bunch of stuff in it, and then when you click on it or click groups of things, that appears on the right. That can appear uh, on OS 10 anyway. That can appear as a collection of the full draft that you can look through. You can select different pieces and see your draft. 
you could click it in a corkboard view that lets you see it on little cards that you can move around, uh, including things like a title and a synopsis. So, you know, if you build out the bones of a story or a comic, Anthony Johnston writes all his comics in Scrivener, uh, you can write screenplays in here. But the point is, you can think at a variety of different levels. You don't have to think just on the word-by-word level. You can have an outline view that allows you to see that nesting and see things like page count. And then there's just seemingly dozens of neat little features in Scrivener. Like if you have a word target for how many things you want to, how many words you want to write per day, there's all these kinds of great features. And uh, it's just, it's got options out the butt. So that's been around on OS 10 for a while. It's a, it's a really terrific app. Uh, you know, it reminds me a little bit of Pathfinder in that sense of like, well, if you don't need all that stuff, don't use all that stuff because it can be distracting from the writing. But if you need to think in that particular way, Scrivener for OS 10 has been you know, sui generis. I don't think there's... I believe Andy Anako, this is like his his main tool for all the stuff that, that he writes and anything that requires anything more than just a short sort of Of course, you must have talked to him about this. He, a little he, bit. And I think he has different like collections, scrivener.scriv files for different... Doesn't he have different kinds of things? Like these are all podcast things here. These are all these kinds of stories. But, you know, you can also the research part cannot be overlooked. So like if you want to like copy a bunch of stuff and paste it into the research area... Uh, you can even put images in there. Um, yes, it is. It is easy to go overboard if you're trying to if you're not actually trying to write productively. But if you need a bunch of stuff in there, historical context for what you're writing, earlier drafts, any of that stuff, it's all in there, and it exports in any myriad of different formats. Um, it can do stuff with Markdown, but honestly, now that RTF is easier, is less difficult to do on OS 10 and iOS. I think you're probably better off to just use the RTF formatting. And, uh, and you can do things, obviously you can do things like links. You could add in a, you know, an HTTP URL link. You can also add in things like links to other documents inside of there, right? You can also add in things like footnotes, endnotes, annotations, comments, all this kind of stuff. So that's just context to say that Scrivener is a very, very, very powerful writing app. It's been around for a while. The story goes that people like me, uh, have wanted this to be on, iOS for a long time. And there has been a kind of partial solution for years now. I mean, at least in the years I've been using it, where you could have it sync via Dropbox with a bunch of separate files, but it was kind of imperfect. You not only didn't have those features, but it was kind of easy to clobber different versions. Well, as I say, the story goes that they've been through at least two developers before Keith just threw up his hands and made it himself. And so Scrivener for iOS, I think it's beautiful. And it's for a 1.0, it's, it's really quite striking. You get so many, you don't get every feature you get in OS 10, but I think that's to be understood. What you need to know is that all the stuff you need to write, especially on an iPad, it is in there right now. Uh, more stuff than you need is in there. Yeah. But the, the really, I think the, the, the biggest feature, the most boring and yet wonderful feature is how well it syncs. And it can sync via Dropbox. And in my experience, in a few days of using this, it's really, really quite good at, at not clobbering things. And uh, I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to applaud Literature and Latte for putting that out and for sticking with it. And I, I, I think it's, uh, I think it's a great app that people should check out. I think it's twenty bucks on iOS, which is a, you know, if you write for money, that's ridiculously cheap. Yeah. Um, so, has, have you talked to Andy about it? No, no, we haven't for a while. Not on the iOS. Yeah, but you've looked at it. I have. It's very intuitive. Um, I, I have been 
very uh, intimidated by Scrivener on OS X because I sometimes bite off more than I can chew and I end up, you know. And so I guess I want to clarify this one thing that is really amazing in the OS X part, which is let's say you've got a folder called Chapter 1. You can have little, it's almost like NVALT. You could have little snippets of stuff that are in different phases of doneness and states of dress. You can even like say, tag them as this is a first draft, this is a second draft, whatever. And then you can ad hoc select different things with like the command key and be able to view a draft of just the stuff you want to look at right now. And if you want to go all the way in, you can have these saved views on OS 10 where you can say like, turn off everything except what I'm looking at. You can even have, I think, a typewriter mode and just like zoom all the way in on the thing that you want to write right now. But that's all like kept together for you. And a lot of those features came over to iOS in a way that's really cool. You can do a lot of organizing and moving around. I have not found a way to do outlining mode, which is not a bummer, but you can you can do corkboard, but you can't do the outline mode, which I love on OS 10 yet. But uh, but it's it's all in there. It's uh it's a really really good app. I highly recommend it. In the show notes, is it? I put it in right. Yeah, I don't have that much to talk about this week. Tell you the truth, I mean, there's lots of stuff we could talk about. We could talk about Skype. Oh yeah. Ugh. What else did I have here? Oh my god, that's almost everything I had here. We're gonna be done. Yeah, you want to button this up? Yeah. Why don't you tell me about one more thing that you like? Not just. <laughs> uh, so uh you know anyways <laughs> uh, it's you know it's a you know it's a it's an app other things i like oh, uh, i can tell you about something i like merlin oh my god dan tell me about something that, <laughs> tell me about something you like <laughs> let me what tell you about it on a podcast come on <laughs> i get it you know i get a fit i'm going out of town and i'm trying to record like a whole bunch of back-to-back shows in in one day <laughs> one day like i used to and so i'm kind of eating um let me tell you about the Eero. Oh, the Eero. An Eero. It is the entire, an entirely new approach to home Wi-Fi. Our homes are coming online, as you know. More things are being uh, connected. Speakers, famously thermostats, light bulbs, door locks, security cameras. Now your washer and dryer, your refrigerator, everything is getting connected. And uh, you also got your Netflix and Hulu, Spotify. This is how we watch stuff now. I just, you know, my kids have been saying, oh, dad, you know, please, please get uh, such and such a movie. I'm like, it's it, th- this thing is right here. And now, was it uh, Amazon that just got Daniel Tiger? My little girl is so happy that finally Daniel Tiger. It's all streaming. And, and Wi-Fi is the foundation for everything. Mm-hmm. And besides the smartphone, it's probably like the technology we depend on the most. You know, here in Texas, it's like air conditioning and Wi-Fi are pretty much tied. But at least according to Eero, and I tend to agree, Wi-Fi as we know it is kind of broken. You know, like what if you couldn't get electricity in your bedroom? (laughs) That would be kind of dumb, wouldn't it? Uh, Or if in your kid's bedroom, sometimes the light would turn on and sometimes it wouldn't turn on. That would be absurd. Wi-Fi, let me help you with this. Go ahead, Why? Thank you. Uh, First time you're a roar. (laughs) Uh, Wi-Fi is not optional anymore. True. Wi-Fi used to be a thing where you 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 go to the Hampton Inn and say like, oh, can I can I get your uh, one kilo kilobit a second uh, Wi-Fi for twelve dollars? Well, it's not optional anymore. There's so much stuff that needs to happen. So there's things you'd like to do. Certainly, you'd like to be able to do things like look at Netflix and things like that. But even background updates, if you want, if your iPad is plugged in 
in your bedroom, you want that to be updating at night. You want it to be doing all that stuff. And you need that to be solid all the way through. This is not a solved problem. If you are in a large house or especially an old house, you almost certainly have dead zones in your house where the Wi-Fi just don't go. And that's one of the things that Eero, I think, wonderfully addresses. How does it address that? It creates a mesh network. Here's the thing. Eero, you get these zeros and I would say get the one where you get three. And here's how it works. You go, you get three of these dinguses and they're uh, like smaller than a, um, what they're bigger than an Apple TV and like smaller than, uh, than an old Apple TV. <laughs> right. But you, you basically get this box and you plug it in, you get an iPad, you get an iPhone app, right? So you go and you plug it into the wife. These are not the actual directions. I'm just, this is just for, you know, I'm just talking. You're just, this is just a discussion. This is just a discussion. This is, this is not a legal definition of Europe. Right. Not a lawyer. No. So uh, the idea is you go, and this is so cool, you could actually grab any one of the three. This is how clever this is. You get this device, you plug it into your Ethernet, you plug it into the power, and then you go in and you, with the, um, it dis- gets discovered via the iPhone app, and you give it a password and stuff like that. There's little, there are little dials you can flip, but you know what? You don't need to flip dials. You just go in and get that thing up and running. You say, okay, your Eero is set up. Now, if you get the package, I recommend getting the package that has three of these. You know, and I'll go elsewhere in your house, and it's going to be not a bridge, but it's going to be, you, you go plug in another one of these Eros. It gets discovered by the primary, by Eero Prime. And now you got two of these. But guess what? You take that third one, go further into your house, put it somewhere else. And you get that third one that gets discovered. And now, now you're making a stew. And now you have Wi-Fi that is blanketing your home or office. And I'm going to tell you, they sent me one of these. Thank you very much to Eero. Uh, they sent me this set and stem to stern, the entire setup took less than 15 minutes to get Wi-Fi through the whole house without any fiddling, without any configuration page nonsense. You just hit a couple things on your iPhone and you got you got a mesh Wi-Fi network through your but house. But to be fair, that's because you are like a network engineer and you have a lot of experience setting this up professionally and you come into it with... That's right, because of my IEEE background. Right. I'm always, I'm soldering things. You got I'm certif- always, I'm, you're certified is what we say. Hackintosh. Uh, no, the, the truth is, and here's the thing, this would be pretty perfect for, so, like, you go to your, you go to your parents' house or you go to a family's house at Thanksgiving and, like, there's no Wi-Fi anywhere. This would be perfect for that, you know, for somebody who doesn't want to have to fiddle. Now, you can fiddle. You can do things like put it in bridge mode. There's all kinds of little things you can do. They're improving this. It's doing new stuff. But the best, I think the, well, the, the true best part is now you get Wi-Fi pretty much all the places. And in like a normal, even like a two-story house, this will cover that house really well. But I have to say, I, I like so many of the things that I love where we have sponsors, it's the setup that I love. You know, it's just, I, I love my Apple TV, but the fact that on day one, it was so hard to set up still kind of sticks in my craw. I know it got easier, but the experience of just having to, you just plug this thing in and it just goes. And now you've got, Syracuse was talking about, he's getting Wi-Fi in like corners of the house that used to be totally dead in his old Boston area house. And I, 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 I can't promise this will work as well for you, but I think you will be amazed and surprised with how much smoother your whole experience is. You're not going to have dropouts when you're walking down the hallway. Right. That's, that, 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 they didn't tell me to say that. That's my words. Well, one of the things that I was really interested in and that I had, um, I had kind of you know, reached back and tried to like, oh, can, can you tell me if this is coming? They said, we can't. We can't tell you it's coming, but just stay tuned. We know about this. Parental controls. You can create profiles for your family members that manage internet access. It can be uh, on a schedule. It can be on demand. But they they came out with this as one of their updates. And they've done, I have in my notes here, it's just more than 12 updates since launch. They are regularly updating this. It's not like 
uh, you know, they just kind of uh, give give you a thing and like, oh, that's how it is now. If you don't like it, oh well. No, they are actively updating it, improving it, and they are listening very much to uh, to feedback. Uh, they've got great customer support. Uh, you call and you uh, you get hold of a Wi-Fi expert within thirty seconds. So if you need help, they're there to help you. It's a, it's great stuff. And so uh, their special offer is for free overnight shipping. You visit Eero. It's spelled E E R O. Visit Eero, and when you're checking out, select overnight shipping, and then you will enter the code back to work. When you enter that, boom, takes off the uh, the cost for overnight shipping, so you get it the next day. So go check it out. This is, is a wonderful, wonderful product. Eero, E E R O, Eero.com. Thank you, Eero. Buck, buck. That's yep. it. It's not optional. No. Not optional. No. Hmm. Um, let's see what else I got here. Yeah. 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 Sure. I'm glad Wi-Fi is there. It used to be, it's so, it's so funny. You know, we could talk a little bit on update stuff here. You want to talk a little bit updating? We got a little bit of time. Yeah, let's do it. Well, I'm thinking back to, um, I want to say, I'm trying to remember when I got my first, was it an Orinoco card? Oh, <laughs> yes, it was. It was in Because I had, I had, I'm, 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 I want to say I'm casting back here to, okay, now I feel like I can remember. I remember going to an O'Reilly Emerging Technology Conference right. in the early 2000s. It was probably 2002, maybe around then. And that's that's such a great show. I mean, boy, so many. I met so many smart people there. I was I was there when Clay Shirky released that his um, power curve talk about like who follows who on you know like Live Journal and stuff like that. It was such a such a great conference. But anyway, I remember one of the people talking there was from that group NoCat. Do you remember NoCat? I do, but I couldn't I couldn't tell you why. Um, well, the thing is, here's the deal: in in the early two thousands, uh, there was not Wi-Fi. You had, if you, 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 even if you had a laptop, you had a laptop with an Ethernet cable that you, that you hooked up to the Ethernet. I'm trying to remember when I first encountered Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi used to be a very, uh, a very foreign, weird, wonky idea because most of us had not experienced it because our computers couldn't experience it. You did not have Wi-Fi connectivity in a Mac up until... I think it was one of the power books. It was a really big deal when they put out a power book that had Wi-Fi functionality built into it. But it used to be if you wanted to get it, and in my case, I had a Wall Street, um, a Wall Street power book. You had to go buy a card. Yep. That was like what? It's like the size of a piece of ham at breakfast. <laughs> so a, sl- a slim slice of ham, and you would have to jam that into your, into your little modem hole yep. on the side, yep. into your little what is it PCMCIA? What's PCMCIA, it called? I believe. Yeah, and I had so the you, the the Pismo or the Lombard. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I, I get them confused. Pismo, Lombard, Wall Street, but it was in that era of the. I think it was about a seven pound. Seven pound. I think it was a seven pound laptop. I think that's about right. Had two batteries. You could switch out a battery to put in an optical drive. <laughs> We had very similar Macs back then. I loved it. But if you if you somehow were, were someplace that had Wi-Fi, you couldn't just go to your menu bar and select it. You had to um, have a card, an aftermarket card. And then I'm trying to remember how you would even connect to it. 
how would you do that back in the day? To this the is car? System nine. Like, how would you connect to Wi-Fi? Would I, you go to the... Because this is I System you 9. Went, you had the little... Uh, what was that little strip at the bottom of the screen that would slide across that had your extensions in it? I think you... Oh, you remember you know, network? Was it network? Control panel, I Loca- guess. Remember locations? There yeah, where you could, you could say, I'm at home. And you would <sighs> pick the home location and it would be like, oh, that means you're on a wired network and yeah. you're getting this IP address. And you pick work location and now you're over here on this. Yeah, I remember all that. That was so clever. It was great stuff. Anyway, not not to go too deep into old man mode, but I, I think it's worth mentioning that it's it's not that that long ago that this was pretty exotic, certainly not ubiquitous, and it very much changed the way that you worked. This is... So, like, for example, again, we talked before about things like Rhapsody, when you'd have streaming services. Like, what would you stream that on? We'd stream it on your Windows PC. Right. That's, that's how you got, and it would come out the little speakers that you had or your aftermarket speakers. But there's so many things that, like, I think it's worth calling out how different it was. Before we get into the device necessarily too deep into things like iOS devices, like, these two worlds that changed over these, like, I want to say about five years where, you know, there were these different formats. You had to have the right kind of router. Glenn Fleischman had a whole website that was just about Wi-Fi. Do you remember that? I do not. Oh, my God. What was it? He, I first became aware of Glenn, who's done everything. And he had, like, the premier website for keeping up on on Wi-Fi. Just about Wi-Fi. Oh, yeah. It's like, what's the latest latest Wi-Fi news? Wi-Fi networking news. (laughs) Wi-Fi net news. Last last update, 2011. Looks like a type pad site. Uh-huh. <laughs> Take a drink. Yeah, and he had, that was what he had. He had a site where he talked about Wi-Fi because it was such a, it was such an unsolved problem. You did not have you, in time. You might get wireless at work. I'm trying to remember when we first got wireless at work. It probably wasn't until any in a job context. It wouldn't be until about 2003 or four, probably. I'm trying to think of my first Mac that had built-in Wi-Fi was probably, yes, I can tell you exactly what it was. So I was still lugging around that giant power book, that 1999 power book, which was a really, really good computer, but super heavy. Um, It became slightly less capable. Running OS X on it became really trying by about 2002, 2003. It was a four-year-old laptop at that point. And I I, uh, I had a gig and I bought a 17-inch Mac... Pro? No, 17-inch power PowerBook. PowerBook, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. The, the, like, a, like, a, like something you'd cook a pizza on? <laughs> it was ridiculous. I had a 17-inch laptop? What this am I crazy. thinking? It was crazy. It was, it was crazy. Heavy. I think that was probably the first one I had that had built-in Wi-Fi functionality. What, what was, when did you get into the world of Wi-Fi? I very, very, very vividly remember having the... Sim, very similar power book uh, that that you are describing. Um, it had the bronze keyboard. It had the two sides to the uh, where you could have either two batteries or you could have a uh, CD-ROM drive in one side. And I'm that had the PCMCIA card. And I remember that that was like you said, like that was a card that you could buy. And this is before we had the airport card, right? That you actually went and got, like you said, the or, what, it was Orinoco, I'm pretty sure was the name of it, but it was a third-party thing, right? Mm-hmm, right. And it wasn't, if I remember, it wasn't just automatically supported, like you had to install something to make it work. But back then, Wi-Fi was just so slow. It was, I mean, you could browse, but it was not 
and, it, and undependable. It was a concession by any any measure. It was like, well, I'm on Wi-Fi, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna download something right now. Like that's out of the question. It will just take too long. I'm not even gonna do a file transfer from this computer to another computer that I might have in the home or office because that will take way too long. But if I just want to browse, just want to look at some websites, websites are slow and the web is slow anyway. So no big deal. Right. I just sent you a photo (laughs) of the little panel you flipped down on the back of the PowerBook G3. Um, oh, oh yes! Can you believe this is an Apple product? Look at that! You well, the fact little... the fact that it, it it yes, I can believe it was an Apple product. I'll tell you why because yeah. it, with a PC, and you wouldn't have the little flap covering up the ports; they were just <laughs> exposed on the side, and it'd be covered with with stickers. What yeah. Merlin has sent me is the back of one of these laptops that we're talking about. It has a little panel that opens. Toward, I got mine in like I want to see it in like the fall of 1999, maybe. Sounds about right. Yeah, fall, summer or fall. And it, of is that is that a SCSI port? It sure is. That's that's the compact. So let's go left to right. You have uh, speaker, microphone, power, and then you have flip open. Oh my god, there's a diagram here about how to reset. Oh my god, look, there's an infographic for how to <laughs> how to re, how to turn it off. You get serial ports. You got a serial port. You get your modem port. And how else uh, would you print without a serial port? Oh, of course, obviously. You can tell because it's got a printer icon and then a talkie telephone. You'd use it for your uh, your Apple Talk. Then you got yeah. an Ethernet cable. I forget the name of this, but there was SCSI 50, there was SCSI 25, and then there's this, I think, I'm going to call it SCSI Mini. But it was like you had to get this special $50 cable uh, that would let you go from this grid of little pins. And oh my God, you could break this so easily. Uh, S-Video out. <laughs> you got S-Video out. <laughs> That's so you could you could plug it into a television. Uh, absolutely. And then you got, what is that, a VGA? Like a typical VGA port? Yep. And then oh, that little guy over on the very bottom on the right, I believe that's an infrared port. That little window, oh, little yeah, curvy yeah. window on yeah, the right. I see it. And it's, uh, it looks like at its thickest point, it's over an inch thick. I mean, this was state of the art. It was, it was a great computer. Well, coming from, what did I bought at that point? I had had Macs at work. And then when I went off on my was this own. Was your first Mac? No, oh God, no, no, no. no. My first Mac say. was an SE, like a tip SE, right, two, right. two floppy drive SE in 1988 or nine, right? 88, I think. But no, uh, but I'd had a, you know, uh, a Mac at work. I don't think I had, what did I have at home? Cause I didn't have a lot of dough to buy a Mac right. on my own, uh, in the nineties. But, uh, at one point then I bought a Yosemite G3. Nice. And I want to say 1999. Very respectable. So is that right? Yeah, probably. Yeah, Yosemite G3. It was a blue, that blue tower Mac. And uh, that's what I had that I did my, if memory serves, that's what I did my desktop publishing stuff on. And my dot-com job, I got to pick a computer and this is the one I picked. I picked the uh, G3 PowerBook. And that was a workhorse machine. That was crazy. But the, we should put this, we should put this image in show notes because there's, there's so much to love about this image today. At a time when you've got something like the MacBook One that has just the one just port. Just the one port, I know. One port. But like, what's also funny about this, though, is like, not only does it have SCSI and Ethernet, which you needed, but there's like an eighth of an inch of space up, above and below every port. Yeah, you could have, it's you could have looks space like a Dell. in there. I know. <laughs> and the funny thing is, Dells did not look like this, if there were even Dells, right? Um, back then it was, um, what was the one with the cow? Gateway. Yeah. 
Everybody's buying gateways. They were my back main then. competition back then. That was when my, you were making making your own PCs. When I was making and selling PCs, gateway, and uh, eventually you started to hear about Micron was kind of up and coming. But yeah, gateway and uh, I'm trying to remember the other one. But gateway, they were you had to really compete with them on, on price. That was that sucked. Jiminy Christmas. Look at these PC laptops. And you still see PC laptops like this today. They look like, look like they're made for like the military or mm-hmm, something. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. two inches thick. And I remember, don't I remember at one point, I want to say it was HP, but they had a, you could put a full height HDD in it. It was like a full, <laughs> wasn't there one where you could put a full height <laughs> Like a hard desktop drive hard drive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you oh could. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Really? Uh-huh, I think so. But. I don't, uh. I don't remember that. But things were, and again, now, when did the, the, um, iMac came out in 98 or so. Okay. Is that right? It sounds right. Well, I mentioned it because it didn't have the floppy disk. Right. Yep. So yep. And that was the so big, that, that was the big thing is that Apple was taking that away. It, 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 well, yeah, the, the, the two, two, and I, I could be getting my history wrong here. I'm not a, you know, a student of this, but Two really remarkable things about it. It removed the floppy disk drive yep. and it added the USB drive. And, and as one, everybody said, well, first of all, what do you mean no floppy drive? And second of all, what in the hell is USB? Yeah. I mean, it, it, I guess it had been around, but I'm trying to think, did I have anything? Was there anything, did the iMac introduce USB? From, from Apple's standpoint, you mean? Like- well, who, did, well, was USB even a thing before the hmm. iMac? I'm gonna, I don't feel like it was. Yeah, I don't. It was not on my radar until it became the thing that Apple does. The thing that that oh oh you want to you want to connect a drive to this? It's got to be USB. This that is the was crazy the big thing. This is the crazy evolution, though. You think about like we had a PC that did stuff. Um, in the fullness of time, you could have a PC. I guess in, in in academic and military and all those different places, you would have a network PC or Mac that was pretty normal. In the 90s, you would have that. But, you know, an internet-connected computer, full-time internet-connected computer, I, I found was still pretty rare among civilians. Um, you could get, like, eventually you get DSL or ISDN, but, boy, that was really costly at the time. So we're talking about, though, up until I was using a modem to get on the internet. I was using, a, like, a Hayes-style modem or the built-in modem up until definitely i think i think it wasn't until i moved to san francisco that i got a dsl line really yeah what year was that in 1999 i think i got a pacific bell um dsl line but even then now that's got to be like connected to the computer i'm trying to remember what the implementation of that was there must have been a modem in the a router in the house but so you got, a, you got a computer that's a big block you got a computer that can get onto a local network you eventually get computers that can on a bespoke basis, like get on the internet, but they don't stay on the internet. Like no, who's going to pay for that? Why would you stay expense? on the internet? Like, uh, well, I, my, mine did. I did. I bought a second phone line at home and had my, uh, my free BSD machine full time, 24 seven dialed up TCP IP to my internet provider so that any of my other computers could share that internet connection that pc was using uh right you know like uh like proxy for the web so i could browse the web through that machine you would basically this is what was going on in most people's offices at the time 
is that you would because first of all the internet was scary the internet was bad the internet was evil and you could not trust it and if you had in a machine that was directly on the internet now we handle a lot of this with network address translating uh, translation nat nowadays but back then like you you had to take special steps to do that and a lot of the time nat wasn't necessarily handled by a router if you even had one or if it was it was handled very poorly if if you had like a real reasonable network you would do nat on your uh, on some kind of a Unix machine or something like that. And and that's what I had set up in my house. But it meant that me or my my wife or my friends, when they came over, could we could all browse at the, at the same time. And it yeah, felt and like the future. At one point on OS ten, what was it called? Um, Ad hoc? Yep, um, yes. Hotspot? Yep. Where you could basically, one of your Macs could be plugged in through Ethernet. Yep. And then you would share that connection. Over, by over airport. This, you can still do that. Hop. You can still do that. You, oh, really? You, yes, you absolutely can. And you can, uh, not only that, but you can, uh, you could do that with your phone and call it tethering. That I do. Yep. It's the same concept. Well. Same concept. I'm not sure what my point here is, except to reminisce a little bit, but yeah. I think it's the way that you are able to think about how you do your work and how you do your life is so constrained by what kind of technology has become ordinary and you know widespread, you know ubiquitous. And I, there, I feel like there are these. First of all, I feel like there are these funny little milestones along the way where I really did start doing things very differently. I mean, so obviously the huge one for me was when I first got you know um, like a shell account to be able to go in and, right. and do text-based browsing. That was that was the huge one because it went from zero to one, zero to something. I now could get on the internet. And to be honest, like that was, oof, I would bring home our old, was it a PowerBook 100? I would, I would check out the computer from work almost every night and I would just sit there until two or three in the morning looking at Gopher. That's just what I did. Like this is 1993 or four. Um, that's, that's the big leap. And then getting stuff like email, obviously, that's, the huge leap, but you know, now it's, I think maybe in, maybe in the next episode we, we could talk about, we could talk about the web hosting stuff we could talk about, I think device stuff might be good for the next one, but I just want to like lay the groundwork for this, which is that, you know, even during your and my, uh, kid's life or your older kid's life, right. just think about how much that has changed. And, you know, the idea of something like Wi-Fi being something you just expect everywhere where now there are like phone providers that are just going completely around the cellular networks and making it so that you can just do Wi-Fi calls from everywhere. I don't know. I just that's a, that's a future I would not have guessed got here this quickly. Yeah, because I remember not that long ago that one of the big selling points for like a Starbucks uh, was that if you were lucky enough to have like an AT and T hotspot account that you could go and and use that, and then all of a sudden that they were making that free. You know that, and now like you don't have like free Wi-Fi in your in your uh in your like coffee shop what how why would anyone go there like it's it's yeah. again it's like comparing it to air conditioning i'm i'm not going to go shopping in a target that doesn't have an air conditioning you know in the middle of summer like that's i'm not going there why would i go there it's now like that for for wi-fi and the it the underlying thing that is that that our expectations have changed so much we've gone so quickly from from something that was such a great gift the concept of wi-fi that we could go somewhere and we wouldn't have to plug in to use our computer even if our battery wouldn't last that long uh we could somehow use a computer without having to plug it into their network 
that now the very concept of, of going somewhere and doing something without that is unthinkable. Going on a vacation without, right. you know, we're going to stay somewhere that doesn't have Wi-Fi or, oh my gosh, this hotel Wi-Fi is abysmal. I could barely stream, you know, like that's the world we live one in. Of my, one of my early trips to um, Providence with my wife, we stayed at a a little hotel. And I, I, I feel like I must've called ahead and asked them if they had internet and I, they must've said, yes, what have we got there? And what it turned out, what they had was that if you, if it was an emergency, you could go into their office <laughs> and you could plug in to an ethernet cable and use it for a few minutes to like check your mail. Right. And I, I just remember sitting there in this, in this dumpy little hotel in their little gross office, like using their ethernet. <laughs> you didn't and, care. You were probably thankful to have it, right? Oh my God. So thankful. So thankful. But I, um, I think, you know, in order to look at how, I guess there's, there's a theme to all of this that I'm, I'm trying to tease out that is very much an old man thing is that it, it's, you live with something a certain way for a very long time and it seems normal and then it changes and it seems weird. And it just feels like these these kinds of changes are becoming much more momentous and much quicker. If you really look at them in the arc of time, you look at the PC era beginning sometime late 70s, early 80s. And in that amount of time, then to go to this networking age starting in the mid 90s to where now, I mean, could we have really guessed that we would be this far along and be so expectant that we would have all of these things? And then and in fact, have it be there most of the time, I think is a is a sea change. And it's, that's worth looking at in our analysis. I like that. Why don't you tell me about one more thing that you like? I would like to tell you about uh, my friends over at Wealthfront, an automated investment service with nearly $3 billion in client assets. Some of this money invested, making people money. That could be your money. It's true. In plain English, what that means is they make it easy for anyone with just a few hundred dollars to get the same level of sophisticated investment management that would typically only have been available to people with a million dollars or many millions of dollars. Wealthfront does it in a completely different way. They don't charge any trading commissions. It's completely free for accounts under $10,000. For accounts larger than 10000 their management fee is only 0.25% per year. It's the best of modern technology with their rigorous investment research. They cut out the middleman and they give everyone a sound investment strategy. And when I say a few hundred bucks, like you can open an account with $500. And there's people there who have $10 million in there. The average, I think they say here is uh, $60,000 is the average. But you can start with just a few hundred bucks and it's a great way to invest. This is long-term investment. This is investment for later in life, for your retirement, for your kids. It's it's that kind of thing. It's not like a short-term, you know, day trader kind of a thing. Uh, but investors with small accounts, they love Wealthfront because the account minimum is only 500 and you get that first 10K managed for free. And then you show up with your, with your big accounts. Guess what? You're not going to spend 1%, 2% per year like you would with a regular investment manager. It's 0.25. So they have made a special URL for our listeners, wealthfront.com slash 5 by 5 If you go there, they will manage your first 15K entirely free of charge for life. So in in addition to never paying commissions, no hidden fees, there will be no management keys uh, fees on your first $15,000 ever instead of just the 10. So go check them out, wealthfront.com slash five by five. Thanks, Wealthfront. Buck, buck. 
April 6, 2001, Glenn Fleischman has his first post on Wi-Fi net news.com um, titled site mission. This site's mission is to post links to articles, studies. This is the shortest thing Glenn's ever said in his entire life. <laughs> this site's mission is to post links to articles, studies, and other information about the IEEE 802.11b specification, as well as include writing and advice about implementation and deployment. And he did the site for 10 years. A site about 802.11b. Wow. And then G. He even mentions here, cheap residential gateways are coming. Look at that. Up to 11 megabits per second. <laughs> pretty fast. Oh, pretty, pretty fast. So things have changed, you know? And, and if you think about it, like, that was a, a website that people went to to learn stuff about, about Wi-Fi. Like, Wi-Fi was a thing you had to go to learn about. A thing there was news about. There was news about, you know, now we see, oh, you know, the new version of N is out or the new version of G or Q or whatever the latest standard is. And it's kind of like a blip on the radar and people talk about it for a second and then it just kind of goes away. And you're like, oh, stuff seems to have gotten a little bit faster somehow. Cool. You know? Well, yeah. I mean, think about this. Like you, you um, let's say for the sake of argument, you, you move into a new house. Well, like even before you moved into that house, you know that that as long as the coverage is okay, in my case, I could walk in anywhere and use an LTE connection. Like, it's a shockingly fast connection compared to anything I used to use on Wi-Fi. But I want to point out here that in 2001, you're talking about th at least three and possibly four very different things. Let's remember, for example, not everybody had a home PC in 2001. Right. That, was, that was a lot of... So let's even take it for granted. You, you've got a PC. You get your family PC. Well, there's still three parts to figure out here. Um, you got to figure out how to get on the internet. How do you do that? Well, there was... Good question. How do you get on the air? Once you're on the internet, like how would you even create a network or a Wi-Fi signal? That's a whole different thing. Well, you got to go buy this Linksys. What's a Linksys? Exactly. And then there's the third part, which is now how does my computer get on there? Or how does my laptop get on there? You need this little card for that. It's just that what an incredibly, what a, you needed a site like Lens or all these other different, you know, uh, kinds of sites to just kind of, uh, you look at, might look at something in Wired that lays out the kind of broader you know, cultural impact of this kind of stuff and what it can do. But the, the nitty gritty of this stuff, I can't, I used to have to spend so much time on the phone with like providers because oh, yeah. stuff would just go wrong in a way that it just doesn't seem to go wrong as much anymore. Now if something goes wrong with Comcast, it's usually something really, really big and understandable. Like there was a time, I want to say in the last two years, their DNSs, their DNS was going out a lot. So Comcast would appear to be completely down. Oh, right. But if you put in open DNS or Google as right. the DNS numbers, it would work. But you don't, you don't generally just have things just go completely black. And if it did, you'd say, oh, well, oh, well, snow day for nerds. Right. I guess I'll just read. Uh -huh. <laughs> what do you want to talk about next time? Do you want to talk about, uh, we could talk about devices. We could talk, oh, look at my notes here. Talking about um, ubiquitous devices and what that means at, at a user level. I like that. You want to talk about that? I would like to. I have a uh, Scrivener document with these things in it. Ooh, Look fancy. at me. So fancy. Well, um, we need to keep it kind of short today, yes. so perhaps we should button it up. All right, let's do it. Okay. I love you. Love you too, Merlin, man.